welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Elizabeth Galvin. We met when Elizabeth reached out to us to see if she could host a fireside chat session with me as part of Diversity Network's Inclusion 2021 virtual conference, and we'll we'll talk about that more. It was a great experience, and I appreciate being invited. And then Elizabeth told us she was a relauncher, so we were extra thrilled about that and asked if we could interview her for this podcast. As a journalist and author, Elizabeth has worked in the U.S., London, Australia, and Hong Kong for a range of magazines and newspapers. Elizabeth took a nine-year career break from the traditional workforce, during which time she was a freelance writer and editor. In this episode, we'll speak with Elizabeth about her experience freelancing and learn about her transition to working as a content editor for Diversity Network, an organization committed to equality, diversity, and inclusion, and creating a better workplace for all. Elizabeth, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And it's really funny being interviewed, actually. Usually I'm the one doing the interviewing, so it's quite uh, nice to be on the other side of the table. Yes, and you interviewed me, so it's fun for me to be interviewing you. I'm I'm grateful to have that opportunity. Um, Can we first start uh, by uh, asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and what you did before your career break, and then what prompted you to step away from the traditional workforce? Well, I was uh, a magazine editor and writer uh, in London. Um, I started... uh, as soon as I left university, it was all I wanted to do from when I was eight years old. I always wanted to be an author or a journalist and uh, began on women's magazines and lifestyle magazines and then uh, went into entertainment um, as well and and contract publishing and uh, also worked for an airline magazine as well. And I was fortunate enough to do that in Australia, London and Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I met my husband and we started a family and that's when I uh, began freelancing. Wow. And so you've really, you've lived all over the world, it seems like. Um, And so you were on career break, you were freelancing. What does that mean to be freelancing? And does that mean you have to suddenly start publicizing yourself as a freelancer? Do you have to set up a website? Like, how do you even start freelancing as a writer? Well, um, actually, as in all impoverished writers will know, uh, we don't get paid very much. So I was ever since I, I began as a journalist, I was quite glad when I went for my first interview. Actually, they said they were going to pay me because I wasn't expecting to get paid. So, uh, as as a journalist, everyone freelances or can't uh, speak for everybody, but many people will freelance as soon as they start their jobs because uh, to supplement uh, income and also to make it slightly more interesting. When I first started, I was working on a trade magazine but wanted to work for consumer magazines. So I would freelance for women's uh, magazines. And then eventually that's how I kind of got my job. Um, But so very used to freelancing really. And it's basically uh, being as persistent as you can. So sending lots of ideas uh, to the editor and um, targeting publications that you're interested in, in writing for. And when uh, I had my career break, I was really fortunate, actually, and found that I could uh, freelance for all sorts of magazines that I never would have got a job on staff 
with because they probably only have one person or two people uh, doing that particular job. So I was really fortunate enough to write for uh, Tatler in Hong Kong which and to mm. do the fashion page, which is such a thrill. So I suppose it is a bit of self-promotion. It's all also about who you know. And once you, you know, I sort of established my career for about uh, 10 years by the time I had gone freelance. So I had a reasonable number of contacts in my little black book. Um, but and actually at that time, um, social media probably wasn't as uh, prevalent as it is today. But I did uh, a few years later, I did have uh, begin my own website and Instagram and uh, social media accounts but um, it was good old-fashioned uh, word of mouth and uh, going for a drink in the pub afterwards that that sort of got the work going. Wow and then once you are established you write an article for a publication and they like it then you have a little bit of a relationship with them and you can pitch more to the editors or does it not work like that? Well, hopefully, unless you make a really awful mistake, which luckily so far I haven't haven't done. So yes, it, it and also that's how I actually got other work as well. So Tatler has a, a bridal um, magazine too, which was absolutely dream come true to work on, and that editor got my name from from the Tatler contact. So yes, it, it is uh, a way um, to uh, to expand your your network if you. Um, write for one particular publication which also has others in the same stable um, and as long as you don't make a mistake hopefully they ask you to come back again. All right so you've dropped a few hints here but are there certain types of topics and certain types of articles that you like to write about and then do you become known for being a writer in on those topics or do you try to get assignments as varied as possible? When I first started, I worked on a complimentary health trade magazine, which was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. Um, it was such a good introduction into journalism and health is something I'm personally interested in as well as professionally. So I was a health journalist for a long time and actually it's a subject that you know, more and more uh, people are interested in, aren't they? And um, so there's always lots of research and um, plenty going on in that area. So I think overall, I've always been interested in health. They're the magazines I buy and, and they're, they're, that's the subject. I'm really interested in health and sport and fitness. Um, but uh, I also, you can't pick and choose sometimes as a, as a journalist. And I remember even pitching to a, a men's top shelf magazine and they did say, well, make, make sure you read the publication before, you know, here's some to read this weekend and I was so embarrassed I had to leave them outside my apartment door in a bag because I couldn't even bear to have them in my apartment so so I kind of I kind of went sheepishly back and said actually no I'm probably not not the person for you um but um but then uh, it's different opportunities isn't it and um when I was in Australia I was fortunate enough to work on um a television and entertainment magazine which sort of opened my eyes to film critique critiquing um and and television reviewing and that's when I got my job in Hong Kong as well. So I sort of did something a bit different then, which was fantastic. And, you know, I can never watch a film in the same way again now. Mm. <laughs> I'm always thinking I've got to take notes. And somebody bought me a really useful pen, which had a light on it so I could could write notes in the cinema with them. Oh, that's a good idea. I, I did one film review because there was this movie called The Intern, which was about a, a um, Robert De Niro taking, like, as a 70-year-old intern taking this um, uh, job, I guess, as an intern in Anne Hathaway's startup. Um, and so I wrote a review of that for Harvard Business Review, and I realized I had to see it more than once. I went back <laughs> to see it a second time um, because I just wanted to make sure that 
I, I just, uh, the things that I was writing about were, were actually, actually happening and I didn't make anything up or, or gloss over something. So yeah, so I, I only did that once, but uh, I learned, I learned that. Um, so how did you get that first job in the film and TV publication? I was working in middle of central Australia, actually, as a journalist and photographer uh, in Alice Springs, um, which is sort of, I suppose, the equivalent of kind of the Grand Canyon. Um, so it's very uh, red earth and dry and dusty. And there was sort of one newspaper. Actually, there were two newspapers. We had a rival. Um, but it was an amazing place to live because um, there were lots of indigenous people there, lots of Aboriginal art and traditional ways of living and um, because it was so remote it was thousands and thousands of miles from anywhere um, there was lots of cattle stations and the children would learn their lessons through the school of the air which is uh, the world's biggest classroom so they had to speak on the radio and speak to their teacher and maybe they're zoom now but at the time um, it was Aww. a really romantic and amazing place to live and actually Prince Charles came to visit while I was there and I covered his royal visit and so it was a wonderful experience um, but after two years uh, it was quite an isolating place to live, especially as a young person, and I was ready to explore the city. So I, I came to Sydney and I was fortunate uh, enough to have a contact um, at a big uh, magazine publishing house in Sydney, uh, Australian Consolidated Press, and I got a few interviews and was fortunate enough to work on the uh, satellite television entertainment listings magazine which I was see. the largest highest circulating magazine um in australia a bit like the reader's digest i suppose it has has very wide circulation um so that was wonderful experience and I, I got to watch a lot of television which i enjoyed wow so that sounds that you went from one extreme to the other in terms of your living environment um, and just your life experience there. So you mentioned at the beginning that one of the first freelance ex assignments you had, you were surprisingly paid for it. You weren't expecting to be. How did you figure out what to charge? And did they just say, this is what we're paying you? Or was there ever a conversation about it? And then as you were more experienced, were you able to charge higher rates? That would be the sensible thing. And being a finance expert, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Carol, uh, you, you would definitely be in touch with that. But I was, I just, they said, we pay you however much. I think it was per word. Um, and I said, thank you very much. I'm delighted to do this. So yeah. uh, money didn't really figure into my equation, unfortunately. <laughs> well, that that's really important for people to know. You, you know, sometimes that that that's the way it works. Uh, so you mentioned that very briefly that now you have a website and you're on Insta and you know some social media. Um, can you get into a little bit more detail there? Like how often do you post and or did you post before you have had your current job? And how do how do you well, how would you advise people who are freelancing now to use social media to help them get more assignments? Well, my current job is content editor, which I think is a fancy way of saying a sort of online journalist. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say my uh, skills are still very interpersonal. So I really much prefer speaking to you like this, Carol. Ideally, it would be face to face in a, in a, in a real environment. Um, but obviously, social media does have its place. And LinkedIn has been a very, very useful resource, particularly as a journalist. It's a golden ticket to get access to people, um, which is amazing. Um, so I would say LinkedIn has been my number one uh, place for both finding out about jobs um, and writing stories and making contacts. Um, 
also Facebook. Uh, I would say I, when I was looking for work, I did send messages to people who were all around the world, the friends that I'd met over the years, and just told them I was looking for work. Um, and that helped as well. Um, and I think also remembering all the contacts you've worked with, um, you know, if you've made a good impression when you were younger, before you left the workforce, people will remember that. It probably seems like such a long time ago since you left your job, but people who haven't taken a career break, um, you know, to them that that history will, will mean something different. But if you've made a good impression, you've worked hard, they'll remember you. And mm-hmm. it's really worth reaching out and contacting them. And social media is a good way to do that, I suppose, because their recent contact details will be there. But I, I do enjoy speaking on the phone or you know, having a, a Zoom call or, or a face-to-face call, because I think that does help, you know, seeing people's faces and, and, you know, reconnecting in that way, remembering personal details about them or their family or what they are into. You know, I think that that helps to, to build a relationship with people again. That's very consistent with what we say about being frozen in time, that people remember you from the past. Even if you don't think that will actually happen, you get back in touch with them they remember you and they remember you as you were when you were working with them or, or going to school with them. So let's talk, Elizabeth, about your decision to return to the full-time workforce. Did you just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I, I'm ready and it's time or was it gradual? And then what were some of the steps you took that ended up with the role that you have now at Diversity Network? Well, I suppose actually I, I might... Um just talk a little bit about something extra um, as well. I remember going to a, a talk by um, a journalist called Miss Moneypenny. She's uh, used to write the financial column for the Financial Times and mm-hmm. she came to Hong Kong and she said she was a trailing spouse. So she traveled all around the world with her husband and she was in Hong Kong the same time as me. And she said, you know, sometimes when you are um, taken to different countries and uh, you, you know, you can't, I was fortunate, I would say journalism is such a fantastic career because it is very portable and you can do it from anywhere. And it's it lends itself very well to freelance and flexible working. But for her, as a financial person, that didn't necessarily work for her. So she said what was really important was to, to think a bit more broadly. And she did some courses. She did a master's, I think, and some research and, um, you know, up, kept her skills going that way. And also it was personally satisfying as well. So actually, when I uh, when we moved back to the UK um, from Australia, there was an opportunity for me to write a book and it worked perfectly. Again, I had two children by that time and it was something I could do at home and at two o'clock in the morning if I had to. Um, So that was really brilliant. So I would say that was a very useful thing to keep going in the background as well. It was an opportunity. Um, It paid even less than journalism. So I would never have been able to do it as my full time job. But because, you know, I was sort of, you know, working part time, it worked, it worked brilliantly. And actually now I'm just about to have my second book published and I've started a third. So um, that that is, you know, sometimes it's worth thinking laterally about your career and what would be useful to keep bubbling away if you can um, before before you relaunch properly. But the reason why I sort of relaunched was um, because uh, my third child uh, is going to start school next year. Um, and I thought I should perhaps take Miss Moneypenny's advice and, you know, make sure I've honed my skills a bit before I start applying for jobs and um my husband doesn't share the same view as me that you know it's a delight to be paid for something he thinks you, know, <laughs> you, should, be, you should earn a proper wage especially when you have a family so uh, I was thinking of ways to become more commercial really and um 
and content editing and online journalism is is uh, certainly um a place where there are perhaps more jobs than traditional magazines these days um, and also public relations and um, conferencing and, and things like that um, so I sort of cast my net widely and, and contacted all my friends including a school friend who is actually a, a university friend as well um, and asked her for her advice um, she worked out uh, you know, 20 years before me that, that uh, journalism and uh, and public broadcasting doesn't necessarily pay as well as other uh, types of work. So she had uh, honed her skills and become a marketing and, and public relations expert and um, and gave me some really good advice, including <laughs> the fact that she was looking for somebody to, uh, to, to work with her. So mm-hmm. um, at the same time, a friend had told me about iRelaunch um, and also another local uh, company near, near where I was currently living in Connecticut. And so I... Uh, started looking at the website and um, the friend who told me about it had just started uh, working. Uh, I think she, you know her, uh, Laura Lee Hamilton. Um, she works oh, yeah. for Oracle um, and uh, has benefited from from your workshops at work as, as well as the iRelaunch program. And so- Hi, Laura Lee. We just want to say hi to you. She, Laura <laughs> Lee, uh, relaunched at the or- through the Oracle Career Relaunch Program, which is a direct hire program where you're hired as an employee from day one. So, yes. I mean, she, Laura Lee, uh, really opened my eyes to the iRelaunch program and the idea of going back into the traditional workforce. I had been freelancing for a long time, but I suppose that's quite a different proposition than having a full or part-time formal job. Um, so it was really useful to think about work in a different way and think about the skills that would be useful for me to acquire, particularly things like Google Calendar, <laughs> Google Meet, and uh, all these mm-hmm. sort of technological things, which I hadn't come across really when I was writing my book with my pen and ink and paper. So, um, <laughs> so uh, that's that's um, that's what I'd say to answer that question. Okay, so... How long did you look for roles before you found this opportunity and what was involved in in the interview process? Well, I found the role in minus nine months, actually, because my daughter still hasn't started school. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So it was actually uh, came a year early. I thought it would take a year for me to uh, upskill and um, learn some more commercial uh, perhaps get a certificate or a postgraduate um, diploma. Um, but uh, timing-wise, uh, fate was on my side on Fortune. And um, it does actually make a difference working with somebody who you have been to the same school as and the same university, because even though we hadn't done exactly the same courses, um, we sort of knew each other and, and it was a shortcut to how we thought and um, obviously, Diversity Network is all about diversity of thought and diversity of people. So ironically, uh, we are probably two quite similar people working together. But we have a team of, of you know, uh, other diverse people. So um, so it, it actually happened very quickly. Um, there was, I suppose, a, a formal interview, but, um, but it was more actually of a trial for both of our sides to see how it would work. Um, and... Uh, you know, to to find out if I could handle the um, work-life balance and if I was a suitable person for the role. I haven't been sacked yet. I've been working since May, so hopefully that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this was a classmate of yours or someone you knew from before and then the idea was let's just try this out and see if it would work? 
Yes, yeah. So we knew each we met each other when I was when we were sixteen, and we stayed in touch. And then actually happened to go to the same university and uh, stayed in touch all, all all the time. So Elizabeth, it was a little bit of a trial run at the beginning, and like, how did you figure out what to do? Like in your first few weeks. It was strange, really, because um, there was no way I could have ever been into the office uh, with my diversity network colleagues because they're all based in the UK and I'm in the United States. So I suppose I would have always had to work remotely, but it was strange not to go into that first day in the office and first day of starting after nine years of not being in the workplace. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first day I remember uh, having very long conversations over um, Google Meet um, and uh, speaking um, in detail about the role and watching um, and, and reading what, what what my predecessor had done. And she very kindly shared some notes with me. Um, but I remember at the end of the first day having to have a lie down. It was so intense, the, the, <laughs> the amount of knowledge and the sort of not catching up of nine years worth of technology and terms and uh, you know, having to having to even use a, a different uh, font. You know, on, on the, I was so used to writing in Times New Roman um, for all my books, and suddenly I had to write in Cambria because that was a more accessible font for all uh, people who who use diversity networks um, material. So mm-hmm. things like that. You know, you think, oh, I, I've kept going. I've, I've worked for a long time. It, it, you know, I have never really stopped working. I was freelancing, but actually, and there is a lot to learn. For me, there was a lot to learn um, going back into into the workplace. But also, it was a bit. Um, it, you know, it was, I feel really very fortunate that my boss took a, took me on on trust and trusted that I'd work hard. And I think those technological barriers can be overcome if that's uh, the thing that employers are worried about, um, which I think is consistent with I relaunch as well. Um, you know, they are things that can be learned and it's through practice. And as you know, we just uh, did our Inclusion 2021 conference where we had 85 speakers. So I had to send out approximately 170 Google Calendar invites. Um, so that was really good practice. And uh, mm-hmm. I think hopefully um, I can do it now. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's being patient, having a patient boss, um, but also being willing to learn as well and having the confidence that you can do it, even if the first day is exhausting and you feel like your brain's about to explode. It won't. It can cope and you can come back tomorrow and learn a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the diversity inclusion uh, conference because I wanted to know first, what does a content editor do day to day? And can you walk us through a typical day? And maybe there isn't one because you had the conference and now you're doing something else. But can you talk a little bit about how your role is evolving depending on what is going on in the organization at the time? I suppose the content editor is a fancy way of saying online journalist, really. Um, so Diversity Network, as you said, is a, is a conference company for diversity and inclusion uh, webinars. And it's for HR and diversity and inclusion professionals to learn from. So the conference we had was 85 speakers speaking on different aspects of uh, diversity inclusion. You spoke about relaunches. There are other people speaking about the gender pay gap, others speaking about racial equality, others speaking about accessibility in the workplace. And so as a content editor, it's a very broad, and you're right, there isn't probably a typical day. Uh, it's, it's a broad job 
description, but um, it's basically communication. So from social media sites, uh, writing stories, um, picking up on diversity and inclusion stories of the day, or if there are different weeks, for example, last week was European Fertility Week. And one of our speakers at Inclusion was speaking about the importance of fertility in the workplace and why actually it is a, an issue that does affect six out of 10 couples and so it's likely that you know there will be people in the workplace uh, undergoing um, a fertility journey of some sort um, so uh, you know I wrote an interview uh, did an interview with her and wrote that up for fertility week last week um, next week we're having a racial equality day so it was my job to uh, prepare the speakers, uh, find uh, four different speakers who'd speak on different aspects of racial equality and then pre-record their uh, presentation so we could generate a full transcript of the session uh, to allow everyone to access it uh, for maximum accessibility and then also sort of interview them as well about um, about themselves and the work they're doing and use that as video or podcast stories or written stories as well. So you had to get up to speed really quickly on interviewing people on video and everything that's involved with the producing of that. I don't know if you get involved in the editing but certainly um, I know that you interviewed me and, and we, we did a session together. So was that a pretty steep learning curve? I mean, in some ways, there were things to learn, particularly with the technology, and there were a few hairy moments. Unfortunately, one of our panels didn't uh, just, the file got corrupted and we had to do it all again at very short notice. And um, But uh, it was, it, I would say as a journalist, the skills are quite transferable. It would be helpful mm -hmm. to have had some broadcast experience, uh, particularly to stop saying um, or um, <laughs> I'm sure your readers will, will be listening to all my ums in this. I, know you I have not heard too many ums or <laughs> even any ums. <laughs> but, um, but yes, it, it was a steep learning curve in some ways, but actually the skills are transferable. And I suppose it's just having that confidence to believe that the foundation that you've been doing for years is is useful, is, is applicable, but it's just a slightly different medium. Mm -hmm. Well, Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit more about how people can find out information about Diversity Network and any other events that you have coming up? Well, I really appreciate uh, that question. Thank you. Uh, we're a free um, network for people to join. We have about uh, five and a half thousand people around the world, mostly DEI, diversity and inclusion professionals and HR managers. Um, and our website is www.diversity-network.com. And we have usually an event a month and it's absolutely free to join and it's free to attend the webinars. Uh, as I said, the next one is next week uh, on the 16th of November and it's about racial equality. And then in January, we have a fertility afternoon and February, we have a mental health conference. Uh, they're all free to join. They're online. If you register for them, you can access the material on demand afterwards if the time zone is slightly different from where you're living in the world. Um, and again, all the information is on the website, diversity-network.com. Excellent. Thank you. So Elizabeth, I want to end by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? I think there's never been a better time to go back to the workplace. Um, we're very fortunate, I think, at the time, at the moment, um, the hybrid 
model of the future of work means that flexible working and hybrid working is going to be the future of the workplace, which is brilliant for people who may not be able to go into the office full time or maybe looking for more flexible working, at least to start with. And I would also say have confidence in yourself as well. Um, you know, I was very inspired by your TED talk. I'll never forget the before and after picture of you. Um, you know, you said you enjoyed your time at home, but you did look a different person when you were driving your family around. But, you know, you had no doubt that you'd, you know, get back into the workforce and you have. You've become so successful in perhaps a slightly different way from from what you were doing before. But, um, you know, it it... it Probably for me, it seems such a big gap um, and, and a chasm to cross to, to get back into that professional workplace, even the things that you wear or the routine that you have, you know, but um, it's really not in any technological things you might be worried about or skills. It's a challenge perhaps to learn them, but it's something that's very fulfilling. And I think you also don't have to compromise either. You know, it will be possible for you to find a role that suits you in the way you want to work and to maximize your skills and to develop your skills as well. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm glad the TED Talk was inspiring. Um, and I feel very connected to every relauncher who's going through this journey. And it's always gratifying to reconnect and or connect and reconnect with, with relaunchers, uh, especially Elizabeth, like you, uh, talking very specifically about your journey back and these different touch points at which I relaunch was in the mix. So thank you for, for mentioning that. And thank you very much for joining us today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It's um, I feel very grateful to I relaunch and it's actually really nice to reflect on my career and um, what I hope to achieve in the future as well. So thank you very much for the opportunity. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on I Relaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.